as I sat right there in my chair there, listening to the prayers, I really honestly and sincerely was overwhelmed as I consider the love that uh, we receive from this church and the support and the encouragement. And I just want to tell you how thankful I am for that. Uh, while today does uh, in some ways mark perhaps um, a less permanent status of the joiners uh, nearby, uh, you do need to know that um, you, uh, you're not ridding yourselves of us. Um, we're still going to turn up, uh, hopefully like that not-so-bad penny. Um, you, uh, I, I don't expect uh, that uh, you'll see our name on any other church's role except yours. And uh, so we uh, will enter into that very unique and something on that very short list of reasons why people can somehow maintain a membership in a church and not be around. And so we find ourselves in that situation with you here. And uh, because of our work up at Camp Lejeune, that, of course, is our situation. But nonetheless, um, the, uh, the attachment, uh, we hope and pray, will only continue to grow between our family and yours. I just want to say thank you very, very much. We, we continue to sense and to feel and to be very appreciative. I was just telling Rhonda a few days ago that I shudder to think at what, uh, what life would be like and what our work would be like uh, without the support, without your prayers. Uh, I, I don't, I don't, uh, don't want to be there. I don't want to go there. So please don't quit. Uh, I have to make a few uh, confessions, provisos and such before the sermon, if I could. Um, first of all, I have been involved in the willing perpetration of a fraud here on your bulletin, and uh, I'm sorry about that. Um, I tried as much as I could between walking from the back of the church uh, to my seat if I could make the, uh, the title, The Great Task, work for the sermon that I'm about to preach, uh, but it just won't. And sorry about that. Uh, this title, uh, however, is, is, uh, uh, doesn't roll off the tongue anywhere near as easily, um, but I'd like to, uh, Lord willing, uh, address the subject uh, covered in Romans chapter 1 and um, under the title, Navigating the New and Improved Sea of Weightless Blather. Navigating the New and Improved Sea of Weightless Blather. My good friend Caleb Myers here has provided a few key words for you that really do match the sermon. You know, uh, when I was attached to a submarine uh, a long time ago, about 20 years ago, uh, it was right here in Charleston, not too far away, when they used to have submarines that detached themselves from the pier in Charleston, which they don't do anymore, I hear. But anyway, one of the things that you have to do when you drive a submarine out of Charleston is you've got you to travel out on the Cooper River. And the Cooper River, um, you know, is not exactly straight as an arrow. Uh, and one of the things you do is you, you, uh, you use uh, what's called range markers. And, of course, you've got to depend heavily upon charts because these rivers are not oftentimes very deep. And we, we, uh, we witness that firsthand where we live right now. There's a very narrow channel for shrimp boats to come in and out. But anyway, you've got to use this thing called a, called a range or a range marker. It's much like firing a gun, actually. There are two 
uh, two lines here. Oftentimes, one of them might be a church steeple or some sort of uh, particularly helpful, uh, you know, geographical thing. But oftentimes, it is has been put there uh, for the express and sole purpose of navigation. Uh, and so, what you've got to do when you drive this submarine, you've got to line these things up here. And if you don't line them up, you're in the wrong place. And it will not go well. Um, maybe you've read, but the Navy has broken their record this year, and they fired 18 commanding officers. You get out of a range, you're going to be fired. And that's how it works. Now, in our society, in our culture, what we have all of a sudden worked ourselves into is this idea that all the navigational markers have all changed. Uh, even in Christendom, we have made the determination and somehow made ourselves feel a little bit better into saying that all the charts are different. They're all wrong. The navigational markers are now in different places. As a matter of fact, it doesn't matter anymore where the channel is or where the center is or where it is that you're going. So, again, in some ways, uh, we could describe this uh, as the new sea of weightless blather uh, or new and improved sea of weightless blather that we're in here in this culture. But the reality is uh, those people that the Apostle Paul was speaking to in Romans chapter 1, they adhered themselves to gods who they figured really didn't care about what they did. They were too busy to consider uh, their own sinfulness. But the Apostle Paul is here to tell us that the navigational markers have never changed, as a matter of fact, and that we can continue to use the same chart that was used a long time ago. Now, when you're navigating at sea, you don't use maps. And some of you know this. Uh, and, uh, you know, and a, a new officer in the Navy will, will make this mistake one time. He'll say, quartermaster, can I see the map? <laughs> Good luck. We use charts. Charts in the Navy. You can use the same old chart. That's what the Apostle Paul is telling us in Romans chapter 1. You know, just a week ago, we have marked 10 years since um, our nation re-recognized evil. Just a week ago today was the 10-year anniversary of the events that occurred on 9-11. And those events for Americans and for many in the world really began to be uh, the new standard for evil, right? When you think about what happened, uh, we likely have pictures of the two towers in our minds with airplanes crashing into them that all of us can probably pretty easily call up in our memories. You imagine multiplied thousands of people died in those towers, literally hundreds of emergency service people, firemen, policemen died. Unthinkable. But what we also find is true is that in our society, part of this weightless culture that we live in, It's this new idea that we're no longer really concerned with sin. 
we're far more happy and eager to talk about evil, as a matter of fact, because evil uh, is somebody else's problem, somebody else's evil. Have you ever noticed that your sins look a lot worse on other people? Have you ever noticed that? Well, again, we're, we're all, and that's one of the real marks of, of our society is that we're, we're, we can be very passionate about speaking about the other evil, about other nations. And really, you know, we should. We should be very passionate about speaking against evil. But the Apostle Paul is assuring us that part of this uh, great old navigational chart that we need to continue to associate ourselves with, the most important aspect of that is sin. It's sin. And you see, in our day, when you talk about sin, what is sin? Well, sin is, uh, in our society, sin is when you do something that really isn't so good, but it really doesn't matter that much. It's kind of like a strange church rule that, you know, if you break some kind of command or sin, it's really not that big of a deal. Isn't that how we sometimes in our own minds even think about it as God's people? But the Apostle Paul assures us in Romans chapter 1 that such is not the case. Again, we, we began to sort of re-understand, uh, if you will, the concept of evil for a time in our own nation 10 years ago. Did we not, as a nation, rise up with another common enemy once again? But we didn't regain, in large measure, the biblical understanding of sin. And when we read Romans chapter 1, there's a possibility that we may not either, unless we really... uh, Come to grips with what the Apostle Paul is saying. I'd like to begin reading in chapter 1 and verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine justice, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. For although they knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up. In the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, verses 16 and 17 of this epistle uh, are a summary of the entire book. 
He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Perhaps unwritten, uh, understood here is, so why should you be? It is the power of salvation. That's what he's saying. But it's so incredibly contrasted with what was before, you know, the Apostle Paul. Now, think with me, if you will. When you read this passage, and most of you have, as a matter of fact, some of you read it today already in Sunday school. Isn't that right? What do you think? Well, I'll tell you what happens to me when I read that passage. I embrace third person plural. They, they, they. Oh, I like that because that's not me. That's not we. That's not even you. But the Apostle Paul talks all about that in Ephesians chapter 2. You see, he changes the personal pronouns in Ephesians chapter 2 and says the same thing about them right here. You see, we have a tendency to read Romans chapter 1, and we think about that passage, and we think about the degradation, rightly so, the incredible degradation. What we see here is the ladder into the weightless sea. And we think about other people. He's not talking about other people. He's talking about us. Ephesians chapter 2 and Romans chapter 1 are speaking of the same thing. The Apostle Paul is building an argument in the book of Romans, and he's building an argument. He's beginning with Gentiles. Why? Because he's the apostle to the Gentiles. And then when you look at the next chapter over, you're going to see as he addresses the Jews. But he wants to make sure that everyone understands this. We are all in the same situation. And the same navigational chart is what must be used to get us out. All of us are in the same situation. And it's very important for us to recognize that our culture and our society is going to lead us to read this as if it refers to someone else. It isn't. It's us. And we're going to have to admit that our own society, our own culture has driven us to come to recognize what Francis Schaeffer told us a few years ago is that when you look at the culture, the world culture, what we have gotten to is something that we've never really left, and that is this, that all of life is meaningless. And that the most important things of life can only be found on Sports Center that runs eight hours a day in many offices. What can be more important than how well the quarterbacks are doing? Or what's new in the training camp? Be assured that our society has so impacted the way that we think that we, we, again, we read this and we think it applies to somebody else. It doesn't. It applies to us. And what we see here in Romans chapter 1, again, the Apostle Paul is addressing General revelation and special revelation. He is addressing what is it that God has shown to everyone. We see here a few things. First of all, this tremendous contrast between the gospel and the wrath of God. The Bible says in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from where? Well, it's from heaven. This wrath of God is divine. 
and it is revealed from heaven. You see, God is not passive in the face of sin. Again, a very, very important idea. Uh, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that no one will see the Lord without what? Without holiness. Romans chapter 1 addresses not only that one who isn't a believer, but that one who is. And the places that we live lead us to think that sin is not important. That sin is some little church rule that doesn't matter. Well, the wrath of God wasn't revealed from some little mouse hole, okay? It was revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness. Everything that we can think of, God is standing in direct opposition to it. Do you see? Yet the wrath of God is contrasted with the great gospel. You see, if you really want to wonder about how horrifying and terrible the wrath of God is, think about one thing. The cross of Christ. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. If the wrath of God wasn't so bad, then the cross wouldn't seem so drastic. Is it not? Incredible. Drastic to think about the Son of God dying on the cross at the hands of wicked men. God is not passive in the face of sin. They suppress the truth, the Bible says. They don't really accomplish that, but they try. We try unwittingly unknowingly. Do we not blast our minds with a thousand activities and prevent so much serious thought? This churn. When you think about, as the Apostle Paul uses the same idea here as he talks about being on a sea and being tossed to and fro. You know, when I, when I walk through places where with the people that I minister to, when they're in situations and uh, you see the same thing occur in the places where you go and likely in your own home. But we have defined and created so many ways in our society, in our culture, to prevent us from being able to think and to concentrate. There's always got to be some music playing. There's always a movie on. Why is that? Does that honor God? What are you trying to prevent? We should admit that often in much of that, while it may be thoughtless and appear weightless, we've got to recognize that our minds are much like this ever-so-popular flash drive. What do you know about flash drives? Well, what I, what I probably know about yours is it's probably not so much unlike mine, although it's likely a lot bigger. But what I know is this. It's probably almost full, and if you want to put something else on it, you've got to take something else off. Our minds are just like that. Only so much is going in there. Okay? You think you're really good at multitasking? Well, you're probably not. I mean, that's just kind of the way God has made us. Now, I'm here to tell you that women are much better than you guys. 
But I think I've got a good case for that being by design of God. We've lost our center. It's still there. It just appears to have had some bushes grow up around it. Verse 20 says, His invisible attributes, that is God's, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Now, God hasn't been revealing His attributes very long. So, I mean, it's not like you're that far behind, only since the creation of the world. So, you know, it's okay. We can, we can hopefully catch up to that. But since the creation of the world, God has been revealing his eternal attributes, his divine power, all of these things, such that we're without excuse. We have no excuse. Now, what has he revealed? Well, what, let's think about this. And, and uh, Pastor Nick read uh, Psalm 19 last night as we prepared ourselves for the Sabbath day today. And he says uh, in Psalm 19, we see some of these things that are revealed by God, the vastness of the universe, the fixed order of the heavenly bodies, the pattern of leaves around a stem, the water cycle. John Piper's got a little track about the water cycle. How many of y'all have seen that? You should read it. Now, I know it's not maybe so cool to get excited about vapor and cloud formation and rain. But can you, can you imagine? I mean, do you see how God works? I mean, can you imagine there are thousands of tons of water that are, like, really way above your head right now? And that, you know, God has designed that, you know, it's not all going to pour into, like, a one-inch-in-diameter stream and, like, drill a hole 10,000 feet deep but it's going to come raining down in little bitty bits and spots. I mean, isn't evolution amazing? The water cycle, mystery of growth from seed to plant. Have you all ever noticed birds flocking together, little birds flocking together in a little, kind of like a little school, uh, being taught by what apparently is a more mature bird about how to build a nest? Have you ever noticed that? Well, you've never noticed it because it's never happened. You see, birds don't need to be taught like that because God has designed them to know how to build a nest. The little baby birds don't see mommy and papa build a nest because it's already built. Hey, you know, they show up and the house is already there. Okay? God reveals himself in, in these certain things. I want, to, I want to talk to you about something very important uh, that I know Will has, uh, has seen here over the past month because I asked him. I want to talk to you about camels. What do you know about camels? Camels are an amazing uh, expression uh, of the way that God creates creatures to live uh, in the environment that they're in. Did you know that camels, uh, we attempted to bring camels to America? Did you know that? I think they were actually attempted in the, in the war between the states, weren't they? Okay. Evidently, it didn't work out. You know what I mean? It didn't work out. 
Camels have feet that are about the size of dinner plates. Now, and they have two little toes, but their feet are about the size of dinner plates. Why is that? Well, as Will says, they have these like built-in snowshoes. You know what I'm saying? Now, so they're really, they're really amazing, but they're amazing in a lot of different ways. You know, they have, they have, uh, you know, several eyelids and these eyelids, do you know they have a, an eyelid that, that actually opens and closes this way? Like a little windshield wiper? It turns out camels are in really sandy areas. And so that's really helpful. Did you know they can close their nostrils completely? They have little ears, big feet. The calluses on their knees, you know, they probably aren't there because they've been worked so hard. God has put them there because, you know, when they sit down and get up. Did you know that camels can drink salt water? And they can eat anything that grows in the desert? And when they get really hungry, they'll eat a lot of other stuff that doesn't grow in the desert. So don't get too close when they're hungry. Did you realize that camels, uh, they're about 1,000 to 1,500 pounds? A pretty big critter, okay? Now, also, an interesting thing about camels is, is that they can lose 40% of their body weight through dehydration, 40%, okay? Now, how long does it take them to regain it? Now, you lose 40% of your body weight, all you folks that are dieting out there. How long does it take you? A lot quicker than I know you want it to. But listen here. A camel can regain 40% of his body weight, which is, if it's 1,000 pounds to 1,500 pounds, some of you mathematic geeks out there, I think it's about four to 600 pounds. Isn't that right, Caleb? And how, how quickly can they, can they regain this? Ten, ten watts. Ten years, ten months, ten minutes. You can watch a camel from this little bitty shrinked up critter grow in ten minutes to this massive camel that you recognized two months ago when you left some place in the Gobi Desert. Ten minutes. You see, God is displaying his magnificence and his power and his attributes in the things that he's created. And, and, uh, you know, we really should take a clue here from the atheists because why do you think that they attack creation so much? Because, you see, that is the primary means by which general revelation is understood. Our understanding without the scriptures that leaves us blameless is in that. We have no excuse. No excuse Children, how many times have your parents asked you to do things? I mean, when they ask you to do things, I mean, uh, maybe I should single someone out here. Who wants me to ask them about this? Okay. I mean, uh, when you get asked to do something, I mean, normally I expect that it's because you, they, your parents probably have this idea that you really can't pull this off, right? Whether it's take the trash out or clean up your room or something like that, right? You ever get asked that? Okay. Have you ever not done it? Yeah. Have you ever have you ever not done it? Come up here. No. Okay. Listen. The Bible. The Bible says. The Bible says we're without excuse. He says we're without excuse. 
The same is true of you when you're asked to do something, okay, that you can do and you don't do it as you ought, as well as you ought. There is no excuse. You can talk all day long, but it is the sea that we're in of weightless blather. It doesn't matter. It's vain and vanity is all it is. You see, we have no excuse for not honoring God, for not living a life that is devoted to him. Without it, what it, we're without excuse to do those things that we should do. God holds us responsible not for those things you don't know, but for the things you do know. You know how to do that. You understand the, the honor of God, the attributes of God, because he, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, he's made it plain. And I can't help but think about dear old Mr. Wet Eyes. In John Bunyan's Holy War, Mr. Wet Eyes, he's going to talk to this figure that represents the Lord Jesus Christ as he's going to pray for the town of Mansoul. And Mr. Wet Eyes was chosen to carry this task, this request for forgiveness to the Lord Jesus Christ because he was a man of repentance. But he says this. He says, I see dirt in my own tears. You see, while Romans chapter 1 primarily is speaking to the unredeemed, we can't forget that we live in this same sea of weightless blather. You see, it impacts all that we think and do. And that's what, he's, that's what the Apostle Paul is speaking about here. We don't honor God. We don't thank Him. Little describes this era better than this idea that is said right here in verse 21. Although they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Turns out life is about a whole lot more than iPhones, computer games, the Super Bowl. You see, what God is saying is, the world and life as we know it is not primarily made up of me buying the next whatever it is, fill in the blank, toy, computer. It's, it isn't. You see, the fabric of our lives is based on in America, while it isn't all bad, it's based on this idea of consumerism. Life is about buying stuff. Do you not see that and feel that? I feel it every day. It's hard to escape. Even, even as in the Lord of the Rings, Gollum hated the ring. He hated himself for hating the ring. He loved the ring. Do you see? It's so affected us that we've begun to define the evangelical faith in these terms. But it turns out the world isn't based, nor has it been created on this idea of consumerism, but it has a moral fabric. And that is what God is designed to draw us to himself and recognize, okay, not only in what has been created do I see that there is a one single almighty God who is orderly, who has made all of these things out of nothing, but also that he holds me accountable and that it's important. What is holding you back? 
from walking with Christ, from piety, from honoring God. Do you do that? Do I do that? Children, how do you honor God? How do you think of it? We've got to admit, our thoughts of God, my own included, are so scattered and scanty and small. Have you ever tried to think about something other than yourself for more than about five minutes? Try it. It's hard. Unless you lose yourself in faithful service. You see, also, unfortunately, our society and these feelings that are so natural that God tells us about here in Romans chapter 1 is also collided with the unraveling of the concept of exposition or the written word. I'm reading a a great book. It's an old book. It's by Neil Postman. It's called Entertaining Ourselves to Death. Neil Postman is not an outspoken believer. I'm not sure if he was or not. But he makes some incredibly important statements. The man has spent his entire life studying communication and media and this sort of thing. And we're going to have to recognize that life as we know it today is based on little bitty sound bites that ultimately are meaningless. All of our news is decontextualized. It's all about stuff far, far away that we can do nothing about. But God wants us to be jerked back into reality here in Romans chapter 1 by recognizing, look, all of life is not weightless and vain, children. It isn't just about the next new toy or about getting a Band-Aid. It isn't. These things are important, but they're nowhere near as important as who is God and that the wrath of God, God's anger is being revealed. It is revealed from day to day. Against what? Yes, also against that evil that's far, far away, but primarily our concern is to be our own sinfulness and the distance between our standard and God's standard. You see, the great revolution in America is about self. Everything in our world is defined by me. But we know that isn't true. Again, the Apostle Paul saying, The same charts, the same navigational aids, the same things are all there. I'm really not doing that. (laughs) Or that. That's what Paul is saying. My friends are going to turn me off. I keep this up. In verses 24 and 25, the Bible says, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. God gave them up. Again, don't forget, our culture drives us to the recognition to think about and to really live our lives based on this idea that for the most part, life is about 
getting a new iPhone, Windows 8, uh, all kinds of other things. The greatest recipe for biscuits. Am I wrong? That's not true. Are good biscuits important? Yes. Listen. But there's children, there's something far more important. That's what he's saying. Far more important. And he says that his wrath is going to be revealed and this life has a moral fabric, okay? But he says there comes a time when I... Uh, You're going to be given over. You see, to your own thinking, sometimes I discuss with my children their ability or their lack of ability sometimes to be aware of situations around them. That's what happens. That is called futility of the mind. You see, the Bible says, thinking themselves to be wise, they became fools. Maybe I am doing that. Isn't that true? You see, even as I speak the words of God to you, perhaps you're thinking right now, I know better. I know, I, don't, I know better, right? This is really foolish. This is wise. But the Bible says, no, your orientation is completely off. You're out of the channel. You are running for shallow water. That's what he's saying. Don't believe the society or the culture that you live in. Look at the chart. Trust your instruments. That's what he's saying. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He says, he gave them up. Now, is this a mark of his mercy? Absolutely. Let me ask you a question. If in all of your sinfulness and wickedness, children, when you do things that are bad, and your parents, let's say they do nothing. Let's say they don't talk to you. They don't discipline you. They do nothing when you do something bad. Will you continue to do that wrong thing? Not only will you, probably, right? But you might think of some new ways to do it too, right? You see, God's wrath and His giving us over to these things is a very act of His mercy because, you see, if He allowed us to sin with no consequence, is that going to drive you to Christ? Is that going to drive you to a recognition of your need for the gospel? No, not at all. But look, so, so look at the great contrast that the Bible shows us here in Romans chapter 1, the great contrast between the wrath revealed from heaven and the gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look also at this great wrath between the ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men and, again, the love of Christ. So God is calling us in Romans chapter 1, for us to recognize this. That while our society wants to stake a claim on this idea that for the most part, the most important things about life are things that are really meaningless children. And the most important things of life are in reality our relationship to the one and only creator of the universe who has revealed himself plainly. That's what the Bible says. Yet how have we honored him? Are we living lives that that are expressions of thankfulness to God, our Creator? Have you ever been sick? 
Have you ever taken undue advantage of sickness? Have you, have you ever really, really felt bad and people sort of, ah, they're really sympathetic about the way that you feel and you appreciate that? And then all of a sudden, did you, did you ever, do you ever find out and discover that all of a sudden the things that you probably feel like you probably could do, you don't feel like doing anymore? Because you've got all these people that are really willing to help you. Isn't that great? Have you also noticed that some people that you would never think can accomplish these amazing things uh, really pull some pretty amazing things off? Rhonda was just telling me the other day that there are some wounded warriors uh, that have just gone to the North Pole in all of their prosthetic apparatus. They're planning to go to Everest next. And your response is, that's pretty amazing, right? These guys without legs or maybe arms with prosthetic devices can go to the North Pole and and consider climbing Mount Everest. So for those of you who are redeemed, the question that the Apostle Paul would ask us today concerning Romans chapter 1 is this. What's your excuse? What, what, What excuse could you possibly have for not growing in holiness? For not honoring God. For not stepping away from the foolishness of the world into the wisdom of God. That's what he's asking us. What is it? What is it that could hold you back from honoring God for who he is? Children, how do you honor God? How do you think? Do you think thinks thoughts of God? Are you thinking about what God would have you do or what he would have you say? You see, again, while our, our uh, life is often seen as this sea of, of school and toys and friends and concerns about what kind of clothes I'm going to wear, God is jerking us, children, into what really is true and right. And that is that in reality, what should be overcoming us is not the latest song from your favorite artist, but it is thoughts about God. And another great contrast that we see in our own society is while oftentimes people think that life is all uh, about vanity and about very small things and God doesn't care about me or who I am. Yet most people expect to do great things. It's because our society centers itself on self. Who among us is willing to be lost in what is apparently a meaningless gospel labor? The Bible would have us recognize that God is calling us to do these things for the sake of Christ in places that you may never hear of again. You see, the Apostle Paul is telling us that these small things, as Martin Luther says, these little things done to the glory of Christ are urgently important and fit into the kingdom. Another great contrast of our society. We can be sure about this. We can be sure that God has revealed himself. 
He has revealed himself, his attributes, his glory in the things that he has created. And that light bears upon us responsibility that we cannot escape from. And that also draws us into a recognition that we are people who live not in a world of weightlessness, but in a world that is made up of morality. And it is a morality not established on the rules of a nation or an individual, but the rules of the Almighty, eternal, as the word might be more appropriately stated, alwaysness, God. And that He has made a way for us in His perfect plan from eternity to eternity to be redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that He has saved us with a purpose. And that purpose has nothing to do with weightless blather. But it has everything to do with good works. With being found, not in a sea of weightless blather, but in a sea of service to God and man and woman and boy and girl. If you're unredeemed, what's holding you back? That's what the Apostle Paul is asking. Why have you not honored God? He says, you're without excuse. You have nowhere to go. You have no reason. There is nothing that you can put in the blank on the test that will appease the wrath of God. You have no excuse for not honoring Him, for not living a life of thankfulness to Him, even in what He has revealed, in what He has made. Believer, He is telling you that you have no excuse but to be growing in a life of faithfulness and honoring of God and losing yourself in service to Him. Not in service that has the mark of our culture of bigness or apparent glory for yourself. It is the still small voice. It is that which our culture would forget about. Who among you is willing? As said us before, set before us, Romans chapter 1, I commend it to you today. Will you pray with me? Father, in the name of Christ, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for this sweet and delightful people. And God, I ask that you would be pleased to shape us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, whether we are a believer in Christ, whether we have been given a new heart or not, God, I pray that you would work your work. Father, we thank you for your compassion, for your love, for your care. God, you have given us the urgent news. May we listen and take heed. In Jesus' name, amen.